It's a good time, so we've got a nice, nice little pandemic going. Uh, a lot of stress going around. Family's getting ready to start school in some way, shape, or form, given where you're at. Nice extended time of solitude, exposing some weakness, some frailty, uh, people suffering all around us, COVID deaths in America over 160,000, I think. Uh, I did not delve into the depression of looking at worldwide numbers. I refrained. Uh, over 130 here where we live. Regular old pain and suffering has not taken a break. Uh, decided not to quarantine during all this. Um, so good old fire, fire, uh, forest fires raging in California, fire tornadoes. Uh, some climate activists I follow on Twitter posted uh, this picture yesterday of like six water spouts in the Gulf outside of Louisiana that looked like the apocalypse. Like just casually on my Twitter feed, I was ready for that. Uh, two hurricanes out there somewhere. Uh, I think they're hurt, or you know, almost hurricanes. Probably more to follow. I'm sure. Uh, what a time to be alive. Amen. <laughs> what a time to talk about living with the end in mind, and what a topic to teach for the first time in the church that I've never taught at before. So good. Um, I was texting with Michael this week, and I was joking that I, I felt bad because the passages that we're reading today have a lot of like really good plant metaphors. Uh, parables, and that's super his thing. So, uh, and I was mostly joking, but I was also like, you know, so if you want me to teach something else, it's cool. Uh, but, you know, he did the Michael thing, and he was like, it's good, you'll do fine, you know. <laughs> so thanks. Um, but I'm really excited. Um, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 13 today. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 30. Uh, so I'll give you the chance to get there. We'll read through them together. I'm going to read them all together, and then I'll go back through and, and talk about them. Uh, so if you're in the Blue Bibles, it's page 1088. Uh, and before we get started, um, I'd really like to go through the disciples' prayer together to pray that, um, as we're really talking about Jesus' kingdom on earth and our limited time to participate in that movement here and now. So we'll put that up. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power glory forever. Amen. All right, Luke 13, 1-30. There was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the fine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for eighteen years, to be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will uh, begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would guide us and help us to make sense of it. Make us aware of your presence this morning. We name and pray. Amen. So there's a lot going on, uh, and these verses don't really. <laughs> I read through this several times this week, and it's like, I don't really see it. Like, we're like changing locations, and maybe this isn't. Should I just pick one of these and talk about that? Um, but I, I think actually there's a, there's a pretty beautiful thread going through all of them. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, and I, I want to begin with the woman that Jesus heals in verses 10 through 17. 
one of the things that's really unique about Jesus in his time period, and, and I think it makes him unique in our time period as well, uh, is his ability to see unimportant people. It's like no one escapes his sight. There's this really important debate going on with these people who are high up in the social structure, and he will stop what he's doing and, and address this insignificant person in the room who probably wants to remain invisible, uh, I would think. Um, and that's what's happening here. This woman is inconsequential. Her pain um, doesn't really matter to anyone who's not her or maybe an immediate relative uh, in this place. And Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. So her suffering is important enough for Jesus to further come into conflict with the religious establishment, which as we've gone through Luke, we've seen like that tension building and rising uh, as he constantly seems to be undermining their authority um, in front of, like, in very public ways, uh, which is a no-no for people in power. Um, the, this fits Luke's description of, of Jesus' mission so far. Um, in Luke 4, 18, Jesus begins his public ministry by quoting Isaiah 61, 1-2. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for prisoners. New sight for the blind and freedom for the oppressed. By freedom, Jesus is referring to the year of Jubilee, which is described in the, in the book of Leviticus. Uh, this is a, a year where um, if you found yourself uh, in slavery, sold into slavery from debt, uh, you would be released. Debts would be canceled. Uh, if you got in a financial bind and your family had to give up their property, uh, this would be a, a year where you could buy it back. Um, it, it was a symbol of God's justice and his mercy, his grace. Um, not only a spiritual freedom, but a holistic freedom, including circumstances. It impacted your life, not just internally, but, but externally, as a part of the community. Um, because he's not just building individuals up, he's building a community uh, that brings him glory. Um, Jesus says his good news is for the poor. Uh, he's referring to more than just people without Money, it's, it's a, a social status. The poor are people who, uh, for whatever reason, are outside the social norm, what's, what's good uh, to be. Uh, so it's, it's not just people that money, it's people with illnesses and, and disabilities. Uh, it refers to outsiders, so, so immigrants and people like that. Um, or even if, you're, if you were Jewish, but you came from an undesirable place, kind of that, can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, you know, you can find yourself a social outsider, uh, people of different ethnicities, um, and all through, we've seen Jesus' healing the sick. Uh, he changes the life of a tax collector who's a social outcast, forgives a prostitute, and often this is done very publicly uh, in the form of parties and, and dinners. <laughs> um, and uh, he says his gospel is especially good news for those people, for the poor. And they would, uh, people would look down uh, upon these people that would pity them as having been judged by God. There's this, uh, there's this sort of social theology that's developed where if you're suffering, uh, if you were born blind, uh, then either you sinned or, or maybe your family sinned and this is God, uh, God punishing you. Uh, it's directly tied to this and so it's, it's not socially acceptable to be seen with these people because you don't want to incur that judgment on yourself. 
Um, and uh, we see this uh, at the, in the opening part of chapter 13. Um, you know, they talk about Pilate mixing the blood of Galileans with sacrifices. And Pilate is an acid dude. He comes in, he's a Roman official. He's in charge of Judea, which has a rowdy personality. They're known for uprisings and, and trying to get out from underneath the Roman Empire. And so Pilate decides to come in strong, full force. And he, and he makes these uh, shows of power, almost like if you're watching like a mob movie or something. Like he's the new guy. Uh, and he's going to declare his authority from the beginning. Um, and these people are asking Jesus about these Galileans. It's this weird story. Uh, and he says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? In other words, he's challenging this public theology, saying that terrible occurrences aren't necessarily God's judgment on personal sin. Tragedy can happen to any of us at any time. Rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And then he, he tells the story about a fig tree that hasn't been producing and, and the owner wants to throw it out, but the gardener isn't ready to give up on it yet. He decides to show it some special care. And this fig tree, according to the gardener, this fig tree still has some life left in it. So it still has potential. It ain't over until it's dead. And so this woman in the synagogue, she's not producing for society. She's got this disability. And she must have done something wrong uh, to have lived in this condition for so long. Or she must come from a family that's done some kind of wickedness for her to, to have to live this kind of life. And we, we can't risk some sort of terrible punishment on ourselves or possibly our children by associating with her, especially not on the Lord's day. Um, so she's kind of to the side. 18 years she suffered until one day when Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. He sees her and he sees her pain and he breaks all the rules and he heals her that very moment. He shows her some special care. She's been down for 18 years but she still has some life left in her. Good news to the and when he is questioned for violating the Sabbath, he basically tells the religious leaders that they take better care of their farm animals than the people they're supposed to be teaching. Harsh. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're questioning, you take better care of your farm animals than this woman who's been entrusted to you for you to lead in the ways of God. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Then verses 18 through 21, he says the weirdest stuff. Like, even for Jesus' parables, this, these are weird. These are weird ones. First, he compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. And if you're like me, you're always taught, like, oh, yeah, it's this tiny little seed, and it grows into this massive plant, and we just need this little bit of faith, and then God can do this thing. Um, but there's an interesting thing about mustard seeds. Um, in Jesus' time, there's this Roman, his name is Pliny the Elder, and he basically, in that time period, he's documenting like Roman life and, and kind of like living history. He's documenting the history as it's happening. happening. And um, 
And he's, he's pretty important to us, actually. Like, if you have a study Bible, it is likely that when you're in your notes about early church life and, and things like that, like, some of that is derived from the work that Pliny, the elder, has done. Um, and he, he wrote a book called Natural History. And in it, he describes mustard seeds as having medicinal value, but he warns not to plant them because they're an invasive species and they will gradually like take over your crop. <laughs> they will spread uncontrollably um, and they'll take over. So the kingdom of God is like a weed. <laughs> you don't have to tattoo that like, right here. The kingdom of God is like a weed. An invasive species slowly spreading through the land. Then he compares the kingdom of God to leaven, uh, to yeast. Yeast is a single-celled fungi. You may not know that. I learned that uh, within the last couple of years. Uh, it's messy. You have to be careful with it. Uh, this single-celled fungi clusters with other single-celled fungi, and they grow and they take over. Uh, it changes the whole structure of the bread, of whatever you're making. And like, how much you use is very important. You have to keep it separated from the other ingredients until it's time to use it. Especially then, you can't buy like, a cute little packet of of wheat, of uh, yeast, and keep it in your fridge. Like, you're, it's in this jar, and you've got like a cover over it, each like cloth, because it has to breathe, it's alive. Um, and you have to keep it separated um, so that it won't grow out all over the place. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a fungus. Put that on some palette art at Hobby Lobby. Like, walking around, like, yes, the kingdom of heaven is like a fungus. I'm gonna put this in my picture, but you guys are building a house. There you go. There you go. The kingdom of heaven is like a fungus. <laughs> Actually, I can see y'all doing that. <laughs> but, like, put that, Instagram that with your, like, each picture of a sunset. Kingdom of Heaven is like fungus. Jesus is describing God's kingdom movement on earth as a slow-moving invasion, like a weed that will slowly change the whole structure of the landscape. Jesus is describing the kingdom movement God's kingdom movement on earth as yeast, which will slowly spread throughout all the flour and changes the whole composition of the bread. Then we get to verses 22 through uh, 30. He talks about the narrow door. It says, try to get through the narrow door. Many will seek to enter and will be unable. These people will claim to know the master of the house, but he says he does not know. Uh, really important teacher for me from history is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, amazing, fierce Lutheran priest, uh, lived in Germany during the time of Hitler, uh, was in prison for publicly opposing Hitler and the things that were happening, and publicly condemning other priests who weren't. Uh, so if they weren't trying to resist Hitler, uh, you were kind of, you, you could be targeted. Uh, by Bonhoeffer. He was not shy. Uh, he's in prison for this, and ultimately he's executed uh, for this. And it's possible that like, he was involved in a conspiracy to actually assassinate Hitler. If you watch the movie Valkyrie, that whole thing, like, it's possible he had some small part in that. Uh, we don't really know. It doesn't really seem to line up with his other thoughts, but that's not here or there. Um, he said, the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom that coming from above is sunk down. It is here, present, 
but as the hidden treasure in the cursed ground. And so they pass by it without even noticing. Like the kingdom of heaven is here, and we can just casually miss it. We just walk by, consumed with all the things of life, and we miss it. And I think the big idea here is that living with the end in mind, contemplating our own mortality in light of Jesus' teachings of the kingdom, of the gospel, in light of eternity with God and Jesus, uh, means our our minds shift. Uh, It's uh, living with the end in mind shifts our understanding of time. When you're 18, like, there's so much of life, like, except there's so many, like, fiery sermons trying to get 18-year-olds to turn their life for, towards God so that they wouldn't perish. But you know how hard it is to convince an 18-year-old that they're going to die? Uh, like, the, the most invincible people on the planet, right? And then as you get to the 20s, like, there's so much fury in your life to do something, to make something out of yourself, uh, you know. You read about, like, oh, this guy did this by the time he's 25, I'm 22, what am I doing? I'm not even finished with college yet, you know? Uh, and then when you're 30, that's like you're just tired. <laughs> by the time you're 30, hopefully you've established enough that you're, you're in a routine, and it becomes easy to kind of to, to sleepwalk through life. Like, there's schedules, and, and there are regular things, and you can just kind of coast. Um... And then life has a way of snapping out of that. And I'm not going to talk about 40s and 50s because I'm not there yet. Um, but living with the end in mind shifts our understanding of time. The kingdom of God is a slow-moving invasion, changing the world one heart and soul at a time. And we're one piece. We're a single-celled fungi. Right? And as we join together with other followers and form a community of believers... We get to play a small role in this movement of God that started long before we did, and will continue long after we're gone. And we just get like to be a small piece of a moment. And we get an unknown allotment of time here. Uh, whether we live a godly life or an ungodly life, we're all going to die. I was joking with some other uh, this morning that there's a song that always is stuck in my head at the end of the song, it's just, we're all going to die, like over and over, and it's really pretty <laughs> and distracting, but then you're thinking about, oh, we're all going to die, like, wait, this isn't pretty, this is creepy. <laughs> um, but it's going to happen, we don't know exactly when or how, for some it will come sooner rather than later. Rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. How tragic would it be to miss our chance to be a part of the movement. How tragic would it be to simply pass by it without noticing and go on living our life until the end of time? Of our time. To sit in church week after week, singing and listening or watching online without really digging our hands into the dirt and the soil to participate in the work that God is doing around us. Without really risking opening ourselves up to others and allow ourselves to be formed into a community 
built on God's good news. Uh, as we were doing church from afar, with our Zoom church, the dark, the dark time of church through Zoom, and we were meeting during the week in like little Zoom clusters. Um, I was actually, I had uh, Sarah and Bernie and me in our Zoom. It was really awkward because I don't really know any of them that much yet. I uh, hadn't at the time. Uh, I talked too much. And the rest were just kind of quiet, so it was really easy for me to just be the talker. And one time in particular, uh, it was just Bernie and I <laughs> alone on Zoom, and I was terrified. <laughs> uh, but he like was really patient and smiled and tried to engage. Um, and I really appreciated that it was harder. For, it was as hard for him being in this weird little online thing with me as it was for me being in it um, with him, but uh, having no idea what was coming, obviously. Uh, and I'm, so I'm really grateful for that super awkward little moment. Um, and that we were both willing to put ourselves out there in a community like that. Um, I mean, God can do something with those weird little awkward moments when we're hanging out with strange church people that we wouldn't see in our normal lives. How tragic would it be to miss that? To opt out? Uh, to miss the whole thing? Don't do that. The gospel of Jesus is good news to the poor. The people we don't think matter. And if they matter, then everybody matters. So it's good news to the poor. We're all poor. We're all, we all matter. God sees us. Your life is not inconsequential. Jesus sees you. He sees your pain. You are finite, but you matter. And as long as you are alive, you have potential to live the life you were created for. It's never too late until you're done. Then, then it's too late. But as long as you're here, it's never too late. You have a place in this slow-moving work that will outlast you. And there's comfort in that too. Whatever I do, however hard I work, whatever I try to build, um, it's still just a small part of the story. Maybe it's a sentence. Maybe. Or maybe we're like some nameless woman that just gets healed in the synagogue. Um, but there's comfort in that anonymity. There's comfort in the fact that it's going to continue without us. It doesn't all rest on us. God's name is going to be exalted. So be still and know God. So I want to I want to end with that. Just with this idea of not missing the moment. Even if you think you're doing the right things, like you can sit in church your whole life and miss the moment. Uh, miss the movement. Living with the end in mind is a beautiful thing. It's not morbid. It's remembering. Oh, we get a, we get a tiny fragment. We get a piece. Let's make, we need to make the most out of it. Not in working harder, but a lot of times I think making the most out of it means resting in the God who's doing this great work. Um, it's a great privilege to get to know Him and be known by Him.
So I'd like to, I'm going to close this in prayer, and I'm going to leave a little bit of space for us to reflect on that before uh, I miss up the moment and just start singing uh, so we can go home. Uh, I'm going to pray, and let's leave some space and really focus on trying to engage uh, or simply be present with the God who is present. Jesus, again, we thank you for the scriptures that point to you. They're often weird and confusing, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit and for building communities so that we can read, reflect, and pray together and try to learn more about what it means to follow you and to be present with you in the moment. We thank you for your love. Thank you that you see us. We are not anonymous to you. And our, our lives may not affect some great cataclysmic worldwide change, or it may, but our lives are important to you nonetheless. And we thank you for the slow-moving work that you're doing as you gradually invade your creation and bring restoration. And I pray that you would help us continue to, to learn how to participate in it. And I pray that you would bring humility and repentance to us so that we can engage in that for the first time. Thank you for your love. And you pray.